Hello and welcome to the Pioneers of the Great Awakening. Today we have a wonderful, amazing man that's standing for truth and that has uh, worked her whole his whole life on um, the, the power of self-love and, and how important this is for everything in our life. And his name is Frank Lobsinger. Uh, I hope I said that right. And uh, I, I, you can tell me in a little bit. And he is the uh, author of The Art of Self-Love. Loving Yourself is the Key to Happiness. He's a seminar leader and internationally trained somatic therapist specializing in body-centered psychotherapy, life coaching, neuromuscular re-education, trauma healing, and mindful self-exploration with certification in biosynthesis, HANA somatic education, somatic experiencing, and the Barbara Brennan School of Healing. His greatest passion is teaching and training people in the art of self-love. He's practicing from Switzerland since 1996 and has worked with hundreds of people given thousands of therapy and coaching sessions. His primary focus is understanding the client's belief system and training them in making conscious use of the innate healing potential of the body-mind and how to cultivate the art of self-love with a welcoming process and other potent self-loving self techniques. Welcome to the podcast, Frank. How are you doing? Hello, Epifanio. So nice to see you. And I feel really honored to be interviewed by you and to be part of your podcast. That's really a big treat, especially being here on the other side of the big pond in Switzerland. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. And uh, to get started, tell us something interesting about yourself that most people don't know about. Okay, let me just tune in to what I could say there. Yeah, I think since I've been a little boy, I've always been interested in the things behind the curtain. I always wanted to know what is it that makes people tick? Where does life come from? What is heaven? Where do people go after death? Um, what is life all about? And uh, how small was I when I was uh, before I was born? And I even remember asking my grandmother, how small was I? This small once? She said, yeah, this small, yes. And then I said, what about this size? And then she was quiet. Well, now I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> so anyway, it was just, yeah, it was always a certain inquisitiveness about uh, what's the essence of life? What, what is it that has brought forth this existence? And in a way that has always been part of my journey and I also have been very much interested since I've been a little boy in the world of dreams. And I remember um, recalling dreams going back up to about six years. And I still can remember a few of these dreams. And so somehow dreams, paying attention to dreams has always been a very important part of being in tune with the inner world, with inner guidance. And I feel that... I think probably the most important thing that we learn as human beings is really to learn to listen to our inner voice. And I know very well early on what happened in my life when I was not listening to inner guidance and how I could really hurt myself. And so, yeah, these, these are a few things maybe that uh, sort of characterize a certain trait of my beingness. 
Thank you, thank you. Yes, the dream world is a whole other experience. So what was your fork in the road where everything changed, that decision that totally like shifted your direction in life, that moment that really tilted you and, and moved you into this totally different timeline that you're in right now? That's a good question. Yeah, I think I had a, I had a few... Um, sort of cutting edge experiences. I think um, probably the, the very first one was the early death of my father who died before before I was two years old. And I think that that sort of was the first, that was the beginning of sort of an initiation into uh, finding meaning in life and questioning life. And I think one needs to be aware of when a parent dies or uh, leaves life. And in this case, uh, then a whole family is actually traumatized. And suddenly it was like, it's almost like a family unit suddenly turns into individual survivors. And so I think this was the first major turn in my life. And it's somehow, I consider it nowadays as sort of an initiation. It's sort of an initial wound that's being created. And I think the earlier the wounding is in a human being's life, the, the earlier one starts actually going in the direction of the soul's path. I mean, you can deny it, you can repress it, but if you follow it, it's actually sort of an unfolding of a path. And I think the second major experience was when I was about 15, um, there I had a so-called numinous experience, as Carl Fried Graf Durkheim would call it. And I mentioned him because it was really by reading his book when I was a 17 that I could understand what happened. And this experience was really, yeah, I just got home, kind of crashed on the bed as a teenager, you know, tired. And suddenly I was, I was just in another state of consciousness. And to make it brief, what I really experienced was absolute love. I just, I just, it was almost like, you know, it was, it was an experience out of time, but I experienced the greatest love that I've ever experienced in my entire life. And it was probably the most beautiful experience I ever had in my life. And in that moment, many questions were answered. And one thing I knew is that the essence of life is love and that everything and everybody is loved. Even Hitler, because that was something that was on my mind. Even Hitler is love and there's no judgment. There is, there's nothing that could ever not be loved. And I also could see that everything that exists is held in grace. And I also could see that Basically, there's only one way. That's the way of love. That's the way of the divine. But we always have the freedom to go against that inner guidance. We always have, a, have the freedom to choose not to follow our inner voice, our inner calling. And then what we basically do is following a path which has a sign which says, this is not the way. <laughs> and we are very free to do that. And the more we keep progressing on this path, this is not the way, although the sign always says it, this is not the way, we keep accumulating more and more suffering. 
And the further we go, the more we suffer. And so essentially, the, the function of this is not the way, is creating so much suffering that eventually we say, now we can't anymore. And then we turn around. And then what a surprise, it says, this is the way. And as we follow that, we are actually going in the direction of our soul's calling and our life starts unfolding more and more in alignment with what this deeper self in us, I sometimes call it our full potential self, wants to realize. And so these, these two were, were very major. And maybe the third one, because it's also very crucial, that was I had a very good friend and he was, we were really best buddies for a few years, stayed up until three in the morning, talking, philosophizing, you know, um, talking about girls, you know, talking about God, talking about philosophy, reading comics, watching movies, um, telling us amazing experiences of fantasies. And, and then at some point he became more and more um fundamentalist in his orientation because his father is Swiss and his mother is Egyptian and so he he kind of dove deeper and deeper into the world of of Islam but Islam colored a bit by the Muslim Brotherhood and eventually he became quite extreme and one night you know we were sort of a gang of friends we were all hanging out and it was already late about two in the morning and uh, we were all a little bit stoned because this was also a time where we explored you know uh, smoking things that you can't buy in a tobacco store and so I was really stoned and suddenly he's reading out of the Islamic book of death I think and then he says you know at the end of times all the bodies will be risen from the dust and then you will see Allah separating the people of light and the people of darkness. And the people of light, they will shine and they will go to heaven. And the people of darkness, they will kind of hide themselves and they will go to hell. And I was totally convinced I'm a bad person and I will go to hell. And I cannot say why I had this conviction that I'm bad, but deep inside was this belief. And I could never figure really out where it came from. I mean, I have speculations. And that then really triggered a severe conflict. And I remember my inner voice telling me, don't believe that. Don't believe that. But then my head said, no, but if millions of people believe that, who am I? Me, little Frank, believing that, you know, it's not so. And that sort of created a split in myself. It was almost like it, it split the, the connection between my inner voice and my, my head, who was convinced I'm bad. And that then created really severe suffering. And, and, and I really felt for a long time, I was really living in hell, terrified of dying, not so much of dying, but going to hell. And, you know, in, in the Quran, it's described, you know, that the worst hell basically is so cold and it's so isolated that you will be there in eternity and you will you will always be freezing and you will be all alone. And it was just it was just so horrible. And so that was uh, that took many, many years to eventually heal that that severe 
yeah, belief that I'm bad and that I'm going to hell. And that really triggered deepest existential fears. And so I guess 17, 18, 19, this was really the worst time in my life. So, wow, I like so it's a long, it's a long answer to your question, but I think, uh, yeah, it's sort of important to understand how these key moments then can really direct a human being's life. I totally understand what you're talking about because I've had a, a similar experience. Uh, it, it was different because I was raised Catholic. And for me, it was always like what I part, the part I love the most about that was when I went to church and in church, it, it was this where we would, we would sing, you know, there was a band and, and we would like hold hands and, and you know, it was just for me, that was the moment where there was a connection with God that I could feel it like mm. because it was frequency. Right. Mm. But but there was always that thing, you know, that, you know, you go, there's the devil. And if you don't behave, you're going to go to hell. Right. And so I, I went through that my whole life and, you know, always afraid, you know, and, wow. and it was like living with that fear in the back of your head. You still have your life. But and then even when I started doing to more spiritual, deeper understanding, it took me years to really get, you know, get through that. Uh, understanding that this was an invention of the Catholic Church in order to control the masses, uh, uh, to you know, because the greatest uh, control mechanism. This is ingenious evil, right? You know, tell people that, that if they don't behave, they're going to go burning hell for all eternity. You know, exactly. and so it's like put it on the book. You know, so it's like this is by God, even though somebody wrote it, right? And so uh, it took me a long time to really understand that God is love infinite forever unconditional and that the reason we have free will is so that we can find that love ourselves not being told that it's that it's there but that we have to experience so it, I, I totally understand what you're saying wow. uh, this was this was it took me you know well into my deep 20s here in late it, it actually uh, came through me all the way up to the, my dark night of the soul to the point that I'm just like you know I say God uh, you know I can't, I, I can't believe that this mm -hmm. is true. Right. Yes. And then at some point I had my breakthrough, but so maybe you might have already answered this question, but what was the worst moment in your life when you, like you have the story of your life. And then as you go through your story, there's a moment in every story when you go all the way to the dark, to the bottom yeah. of the pit, and then something changes in you. And when you arise from that, you're a completely different person. In, in your entire life, what was the worst moment in your life? Yeah, I really think it was when I was 17. It was really, actually, it, was, I was, it started then. But when I was 19, I remember one night, I was just yeah, it was often at nighttime when these uh, these fear fantasies really came up, these fears of hell and and of damnation. And, and it was really, it became so unbearable, this fear. And I remember opening the window. I was living on a fifth floor and I just couldn't bear it anymore. And I was standing there thinking, you know, I'm going to jump out the window. But... It was like, you know, on one hand, I knew it's not a good idea because uh, then I go straight to hell. At least uh, then I'm still sort of in a waiting room, you know, if I don't do that. But it was so it was so unbearable, you know, the fears. And I really produced these, yeah, almost hallucinations. And then usually during when when daylight came, I, my rational mind and my 
my personality was strong enough to function during the day, but then at nighttime it happened. And I remember standing there at the window thinking, do I jump? And then I thought, no, you know, um, well, I can reveal it here. Actually, my father uh, committed suicide. He took his life. And then I was thinking of my father and I thought, this can't be the solution that I do the same as my father. And then I was thinking of my mom and I thought, if you do this now, this will kill her. She will not be able to handle that. And, and so it was really thinking of my parents that I eventually closed the window and thought, you know, I have to find a way through. I don't know how. And, you know, the interesting thing is, and that is beautiful, you know, this experience before when I was 15, where I had this experience of absolute love, this actually, if I would really have integrated that, then I would not have had to go through this hellish experience. But since there were aspects which still resonated with these beliefs, I had to go through it. And that then became part of my journey to heal that. But to answer your question, that was really the, the lowest moment in my life. Wow, I, I totally can resonate with you. I've had a similar experience to wait years mm -hmm. later. But what lesson did you learn out of this experience? And maybe not then, but through your life, at what point, what was that this gave you? Yeah, well, it's actually interesting that you ask that because I really knew I have to find a way out of hell. And I came across the book, which is called, <laughs> yeah, I always sort of had an affinity with the United States and people living in the US. And so I came across the book. I read it in German, but in English, it's called The Nature of Personal Reality by Jane Roberts. And it's actually a theft book. And it was this, you know, it was this huge book, uh, four, five hundred, four hundred pages or something. And yes, it was this channeled entity. But somehow, I said, it, I don't care if it's channeled or not channeled. But it spoke to me because it's talked about how our belief systems create our reality. And then I remember reading this long introduction, and suddenly I was there thinking my god if this is true i mean if this is true that our beliefs create our reality or certainly our experience of reality that is unbelievable then i live in a totally different world than i have ever known that would mean what i'm actually experiencing in my hellish state is basically caused by a belief in a punishing God based on my belief that I'm bad. And so this was actually the key. And then I realized what I have to do is replace this belief that I'm bad into a belief that fundamentally I'm loved by a loving God. And so that became my path and this became my therapy. And so what I did was really using this book, which explained how to work with the belief system, how to rewrite them, how to transform it. And so that's what I did. And I did diary writing. So that helped me to develop my observer. And so I gradually rewrote all these beliefs. And so then what happened is I would fall less often into these panics and fears. They would still come occasionally, but they would last less long. And over time, my observer became ever stronger. And so I gradually moved out of it. And 
that basically has become part of my journey up to this day, working with belief systems, recognizing them, understanding them, and eventually replacing them by more beneficial, more empowering, more positive belief systems. Absolutely, absolutely. I totally, totally like I'm, a, I'm on the same frequency, the same thing. I had, I have very similar experience, different channel, but I had a different experience. Yeah, it's very similar experience. Interesting. Yeah, one day I would love to hear your, your uh, story, or maybe I could ask you these questions. That would maybe, be really interesting. Maybe you can interview me for your channel. We can totally do that. Absolutely, that would be really yeah, great. Amazing. Yes. So what keeps you up at night these days with what's everything that's going on? What's, what's really like, you know, it's in your mind now, what's going on? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I just say as a sort of a prelude, I really think a lot of what's happening in the world is absolute madness. And there's really a group of people you know, I just say agenda, WEF, things like that. And there's much more, and that's not just been going on uh, these past few years. I think there's just a group of people who are really power hungry. They really want to have power over. They really want to control. They have created a network of media, of politicians, of CEOs in, in big companies, they, if you say the Fed, the creation of the Fed, you know, this whole idea that a, a government needs to get money from a non-governmental organization and then sort of loan that money and pay interest. And where does the interest payment go to? I mean, I probably don't have to say much more, but the truth is it no longer keeps me up at night. I mean, I just call it madness. I see it. And sometimes I, I get a bit triggered. But what really keeps me up at night is uh, doing practices that I think are useful to cultivate our inner potential. What keeps me up is reading really a good book. What keeps me up is uh, writing in my diary. Uh, what keeps me up is just uh, listening to music and letting my day go by again, feeling the gratitude for all that has happened today, um, maybe thinking of projects I want to do the next day. So for the most part, it's really, it's really interesting, fascinating topics, practices, ideas. Sometimes I watch videos from, from people who share empowering thoughts. So it's actually just that life is so interesting that I go to bed late and that's really what keeps me up these days. That's beautiful. And that's, you know, also your practice of transmuting all of this limited, you know, energy and then passing, flowing through you. And then at the other end, it's like you enjoy music and, and you know, doing all your work. And, and that's, that's truly the work of, of that we're here to do, you know, kind of like digest these nasty toxins and then, you know, what, transform them. And then at the other end, we have like an open heart and we're giving that with, with our work. So yeah. what, what is your vision for humanity's future? Wow, that's a, that's a profound question. Well, maybe, maybe I'm going to share a story um, since, you know, 
you said you like stories and on your channel you you sort of bring the message across through stories so i think that's maybe the first part that i remember it was in 1994 i was traveling to cyprus because there used to be a very famous healer he was very famous in europe his name is was Daskalos or um, Stylianos or Teshlis. And he was known to be able to do amazing healings, people getting out of wheelchairs, people being severely sick, getting healthy again. Some people said he was really able to heal like Jesus. And so I wanted to meet him and he had sort of his stoa, that means school. So I think I went for three weeks and so already organized when I could attend his lectures at his school with his daughter. And then I arrived with a friend from South America. And then we hear actually he's in hospital. He cannot uh, do any classes. So I was really bummed. But uh, often what happened is uh, sometimes he, he took on the karma of people that he wanted to heal. And then he sometimes uh, got sick because he sometimes took on too much. And I think he also did that once for his grandson, um, because he could see, yeah, this is a deep karmic pattern and that will create a lot of suffering. And then he wanted to take it upon himself. And so that was the reason I never saw him. And so I was a bit disappointed, but then I went to meet the student of his. And so I explored the island and one night or one day actually went to a place it's called Aphrodite's bath. So that's the place where she seemingly had her bath. And then uh, we came up to a meadow there and there we met an old shepherd and he, he spoke a little bit of English and it was a beautiful meadow overlooking the ocean and it was just facing west and the sun was just going down slowly. And then he said, this is the place where Aphrodite seduced a pole. And I thought, that's a good place to be. And just watching this sunset, I was thinking, I had this question in my mind, how does synchronicity work? You know, how do these synchronistic um, occurrences happen? And then suddenly it was almost like I had a vision. And in retrospect, I feel it was a gift from Daskalos. You know, I could not meet him, but he was sort of giving me a vision of the world. And then suddenly what I saw was the planet. And then I could see that, that there are sort of fine threads, golden threads going around the planet. But there were only a few. I mean, this was 1994. So there were only a few going around. But I could perceive that on an even higher vibrational level, this, I call it golden grid, that this golden grid was already created. But on a little bit of lower level, which is still a very high uh, frequency, these golden grids were just about to be formed. And I could see that this golden grid is really a sort of a network of divine information and divine guidance. And then I could see like two people, one, one being on one side of the planet, he got the inspiration, you know, travel there, go to this place. And another person got also an information, go there, go to this place. And then they both follow their guidance and bing, they meet. And so that was the explanation of how synchronicity works. 
But then I was surprised, then the vision would go on and then suddenly I could see the planet again. And then I could see a very thick, dense, black, grayish grid around the planet. And, and the vibration was very low. And I could see that this grid is thousands of years old. And it was really created by families and certain structures of societies which are really into power and domination. At the same time, I could see the golden grid and it had a very high pitch vibration. I probably can't do it with my voice, but it was something like. And I could see that this vibration is so high that it actually starts disintegrating this blackish grayish structure. And I could see that the people who are part of the structure and who benefit from all the control that they have, all their influence, all the power, all the money, that they get very threatened by this golden grid. And they knew that eventually their time will come to an end. But it was shown to me that these people and everybody who belongs to this dark grayish black grid will do whatever they can to keep the control and to prevent that disintegration, at least for as long as they can. And so this was 1994. And, you know, I completely, I completely uh, got the vision, but I couldn't quite understand, you know, why I'm getting this vision. And now I do, of course, and what we could see over the past few years and few decades. So that's really what I see is happening. And my vision is that this golden grid, I think now uh, it's probably much more progressed. And I think that this integration is, is much stronger and I think they become even more frantic and that's all we're seeing in the world. I don't think I have to elaborate on that. And so my vision is that this golden grid is now awakening all of humanity and what it really does is helping people to get more in touch with their inner guidance. At the same time, it brings up blockages, it brings up shadows that are preventing people from getting uh, more deeply in touch with their intuition. But if people don't freak out about what's being activated, but really transform it, then they also get an amazing support to align even more deeply. And my vision is that there's a global awakening and that people more and more are really connected to their intuition, to inner guidance, and that people find sort of a direct access to their to their inner divine source. You know, whether you call it God or not, or higher intelligence, cosmic intelligence, you know, people need to choose the word that matches to them. I think the most simple is this, the inner voice, which is just aligned with uh, universal intelligence. And so my vision is that more and more people are living that and are creating a world by following this inner voice. And through that, they are aligning with what I call their full potential self. And I see the purpose and vision in life to really realize more and more of our full potential for ourselves, but also for others. And so that's the vision I have, moving into a divine life a sort of a 
golden age, you know, that we are in the beginning of approaching. Beautiful, beautiful. And it's definitely a golden age made by golden threads of golden people awakening. (laughs) Right. So what are you doing right now to contribute to this vision? Wow, that's a really good question. Well, um, I have a... I actually have written a book which I can show. It's it's called uh, the Art of Self Love, and you actually have already quoted it. Loving yourself is the key to happiness. So part of my journey, and part of what I had to learn is to actually love myself, to learn to love all aspects which in within my consciousness, and to relate to them in a conscious and loving way. And I realized I had a very critical voice, which was also related to I'm bad, I'm not good enough, you will never succeed, who do you think you are, you can't do that. And and that really caused sort of a low self-esteem, low self-confidence. And with that, it was very difficult to, to be confident in the world and to go for what I really want to realize and achieve. And so a big part of my life was really finding ways to heal and to transform all these limiting beliefs, this low self-esteem, this negative self-talk. And so what I created was a process which I called the welcoming process. And that's really a simple three-step process how people can learn to relate to their experience in a conscious and loving way. And fundamentally, the way you relate to yourself is really how you relate to others because what you love in others you love in yourself what you love in yourself you love in others what you fear in others you fear in yourself what you hate in yourself you hate in others and so in a way learning to cultivate self-love is really a way to also be able to be more loving more conscious and more loving in interaction to others And so that's really a a key element of my work. And yes, I do also work in private practice with my clients, but my intention was also to basically write this book so that people can learn to do what I have learned to do to relate to themselves with this welcoming process in order to transform whatever it is that makes them feel heavy, disconnected, sad, angry, fearful, And the process is very simple. You just learn first. The first step is really what am I experiencing right now? So as you do that, you actually step back and you cultivate the inner observer. And once you're aware of the inner observer, then you have a choice. How do you want to relate to what you're experiencing? So you have a choice of attitude. And the second question is, Can you actually allow the experience? And just through this question, you automatically cultivate a loving attitude, no matter what the actual experience is. And once you say yes, then you bring your awareness to your body and you feel what happens. And at some point, there will be a shift in the body. And when this shift happens, then the actual allowing has occurred. But the actual allowing is an involuntary process, which only can occur if you previously give your consent to actually allow whatever it is that you're experiencing. And then there's also the possibility to say no. No, I don't want to allow it. Because what's very important is that we always have the freedom to say yes or no to our experience. 
The same in relationship. If I always have to say yes to my partner, otherwise he gets upset. I mean, I don't really feel very loved and very free. But if I have the right to say no, and my partner says, okay, I understand. Uh, but are you really sure? Yeah, I'm really sure. I don't want to. Okay, then everybody can relax. And that's the same in the process. So you can really also say, so if you say no, then the question would be, can you allow your no? Or you can also say you're not allowing or your resistance. And then when you ask yourself, yeah, this, this, for example, I feel afraid. Can I allow it? No, I cannot. So, and how is it? Can you allow your no? Yeah, I can. Oh yeah, that feels good. I'm allowed to say no. I'm allowed to have resistance. And so that's basically how you move through the process. And eventually when you have a theme, whatever it is, you work through these cycles and eventually you reach something like a plateau. And when you reach that, then you feel much more relaxed, more centered. And then from there, you can actually relate to whatever it is that you need to deal with in a much more centered and yeah, resourced way. And so that's, that's a big part. And uh, the other thing I feel what is very important and how I try to live this yeah, being aligned with our golden grid is really to feel what is it right now in this moment that life would like to express through me. It can be in an interaction or it can be, you know, what is it today that I would like to, that would like to be created through me. And so it's just learning to align ever more in the moment with inner guidance and then to my best ability to express that, to lift that in all of my uh, interactions. And of course, you know, that's, uh, how can I say, that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a great demand always, but, you know, always a little bit more and always a little bit more aligned. And, and so in a way that's evolving and that's this cultivation of living in a conscious and loving way with myself and others. Beautiful, beautiful. And so, what do you think we can do to inspire unity among the different groups of the truth movement? Yeah. Well, you know, truth movement, truth is a big word, but um, I really believe that the way to find harmony is really to find harmony within oneself first. Because whenever, whenever I feel triggered, that means in the moment I feel triggered, I lose a little bit of my center. And in that moment, I'm activated. And I also lose a bit of my rationality. So in a way, when I'm activated, you can't take me for 100%. It's like I'm, I'm basically off center. So whatever I'm going to do, whatever I'm going to say, it's not really so aligned. And that's true for organizations as it's true for individuals. And so I think the most important is to really find back to center. And I think the same is true for organizations. You know, when an organization or the members are triggered or they're they are very threatened. And fundamentally, it's really a threat that causes an imbalance and an activation. And I think when organizations are enough self-aware 
to see, you know, are we centered? Are we are we having sort of a balanced approach, or do we have a bit of one-sided, fear-based, driven, threatened approach? Then, if they do that, then they can see what would we have to do, you know, in order to to be more centered. And when you're more centered, then you're also more open to potential differences. But you will be more focused on, you know, what's aligned, what goes together. And so I think um, that applies for individuals and groups. And I think if organizations have sort of a self-reflection and ways to, re to realign with centeredness, with a balanced approach, recognize where they are driven maybe by extreme costs through a, a certain threat, then I think these organizations will find natural ways to interact with each other and seeing the, the underlying truth within the seeming difference of these truth movements. I don't know if that, that makes sense, but that's sort of my understanding. Makes absolute sense. That's that's right on, you know, because if you are all off tilt, your actions are going to be off tilt and that's going to create ripples that are off tilt. So if you go to the root, and, and make sure that the root is properly centered, then the tree is gonna grow organically and, and straight up. Exactly. And that's why, you know, that's why the welcoming process uh, for me is, I use it a lot, is very helpful because it it is a simple way to meet me when I feel challenged, when I feel triggered, when I feel threatened. And fundamentally there are, you know, there are a few threats that every individual can identify using the, this method or not. But this is a, this is an approach that I like. You know, there's the there's the wanting to be safe. There's the wanting to be loved. There's the wanting to be satisfied. And there's the wanting to be in control. And basically, every time you feel yourself threatened, activating, triggered, off-centered, one of these four basic wants is being threatened. And so when you recognize that one of these wants, for example, the wanting to be loved is threatened, then you can say, ah, oh, I need love. <laughs> then you can relate to yourself in a loving way. And then you start calming down. Or if you feel, I want control, then you said, so what do you want to control? Oh, the other out there, I see. So what does that do to me when I, ah, oh, that, that really triggers me. So could I just allow the other to be and myself to be as I am? And, hmm. Or I want satisfaction. What kind of satisfaction? Oh, it should come from the other. Okay. But how could I give myself? What kind of satisfaction would it be? Can I give that to myself? Or could I give the other the freedom to choose if he wants to give it to me by really openly asking? And then the whole system starts calming down. Because from the moment the threat is recognized and the underlying need is being addressed, then the system starts calming down. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it makes total sense. Coming back to center. What's your favorite quote, Frank? <laughs> My favorite quote? Wow, I have so many. My favorite quote, I have to think about it. Um, Well, one of them is very simple. I think it's in the Bible, you know, the truth will set you free. And, Amen. Amen. And, 
you know, the truth, the truth is a big word, but sometimes it's just acknowledging our limited truth, our personal truth or our truth in the present moment, just by recognizing it, just by acknowledging it. And just by saying, yes, right now, this is my truth. There is something that transforms. There's something that aligns and there is something that feels more free afterward. And so, um, yes, that, that's a quote. I really think it's it's so simple, but in its depth, I think it is bottomless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is amen. Amen to that one. So what uh, would you like to share with people? How can they find you? Tell us about what you got going on, your type of coaching, and, and just, you know, where the website, where can get the book, yes. where can get the book, all of that stuff. Yes, they can just go to my website, which is www.theartofselflove. Self-love spelled, spelled in one word. I just show the title one more time. So it's really just spelled like that. www.theartofselflove.com. And there they find my website. They, they find a link to buy my book. You can also buy it on Amazon. And uh, they, if they want, they can also book a, a sort of a coaching session with me or a therapy session. Uh, it's a way to get in touch with me if they want to ask me questions. And I also do teach in groups. So if, if people are interested, of course, that's in Switzerland. So maybe that's uh, maybe a bit difficult. But my plan is to... Uh, start creating an online course or an online training soon where people can learn the welcoming process and learn to cultivate the art of self-love in their own life. So that's sort of a project that's waiting, but eventually that's what I would like to also uh, make available on my website. Excellent. Excellent. Frank, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Pioneers of the Great Awakening. It's been amazing listening to the, you know, the welcoming process. And this is what you're saying is basic stuff. This is like, you know, from yeah. here without have, without that, you don't have anything. And, and this is your extremely uh, um, grounded solutions uh, that ripples throughout uh, humanity. And, and it, it all starts with itself right on exactly how it should be. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Is there anything else you want to add, you want to say to the people before we go? Well, I just want to say thank you to your audience, you know, for watching this video. And thank you so much, Epifania, for inviting me to share about my life journey, my book, my passion, and my vision for the world, for humanity. I feel very honored and very touched that I have been given this platform of yours and that you share that with your fans and your audience. Thank you so much, Epifanio. And thank you so much, Frank. Uh, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye, Epifanio. Bye-bye. And one, one more thing. If you want to go yes. to, uh, on learn more about uh, Planet Homemaking podcast, you want to go to jorn.tv, that's J-O-U-R-N.tv, and that's okay. the page of the podcast. And all for all of you people out there too, also, if you're going through your dark night of the soul, you can learn about that in the support uh, part of the button menu of jorn.tv, and we have support for that stuff. Thank right. you. Thank you so much for joining Thank you us. Thank too. <laughs> and uh, I'll see you next episode. Yes. Bye-bye.